Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Rusty Mansell. We're still missing Kip, still thinking about Kip. He will be with us, hopefully, later on in the week. Uh, but, Rusty, big win, man. Big win for Georgia on Saturday, especially when you consider Georgia basically walked up to the scoreboard and 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 up to the press box where the scoreboard is being operated and just pressed whatever button it was to give – Tennessee seven points before it even started. They just handed them seven and said, okay, we'll play the game from there. And, uh, you know, listen, you probably know this guy. I know this guy real well. David Pascal from the Chattanooga Times Free Press told me something after that game that really kind of stuck with me. And he goes, you know what? That kind of play to start a game, it takes a while for that to kind of flush out and get out of the game to where it doesn't matter anymore. Even if you outplay a team from that point on, it lingers for a while. And uh, it did. Georgia made so many mistakes, shot itself in the foot so many times. And much like the Arkansas game, but only because Arkansas was perceived the way they perceived at the time that it kind of give people the wrong impression – but much like the Arkansas game, you turn around, you look, 23-point victory. Georgia has three consecutive 20-points or more wins to begin the 2020 season. And, uh, Rusty, as I always do on a Sunday show, overall thoughts on the game, what would you think? Um, yeah, you know, you look at that play, and I was in the stadium and when that happened. You know what, what you go back and look, that I think that was the second play, maybe or third play from scrimmage, whatever it was. And the snap before, he made a good play to get it. So, you know, Trey Hill is is kind of getting into a pattern to where he's having one, maybe two of these a game, and that's just something they've got to fix. I know it's kind of – it gets in your head. It's one of those things, and you can't give a team seven points, man. You can't give an Alabama seven points. You can't give a Florida seven points and almost couldn't have given given Tennessee seven points because, you know, you're you're, you're down at half and – Different things are going on, but I'll tell you this. We'll touch on it more, but the bad is, you know, you look at that first half, and Jared Garantano made one really, really on-the-money throw. I mean, it was perfect. Uh, Tyson Campbell thought pretty dang good coverage, man. He just got beat by Josh Palmer on a really good throw, so I give them that seven. The other play, whether it was passing, offensive pass interference or not, I'll leave that up to you. Could have been, I think. Didn't get called. Doesn't matter. They give up seven. So, in the grand scheme of things, Georgia played not great. Had a goal line stand against them. Uh, you know, didn't get to convert there on another play. So, just a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy first half and some things snowballed against you. And that's what happens against a pretty good team. Again, they're not an elite level yet. 
Um, I do think they're taking some really good steps toward that with, with uh, under Jeremy Pruitt. But Jake, what did we say last week, man? What did we say when we finished this thing? What was going to be Georgia's game plan? Who were they going to make them beat them? Jared Guarantano. Yep. And, and in the second half, that's exactly what they did. They tightened down every nuts and bolts. They came after him, and he was going to have to make some plays. And, you know, fortunately for the Georgia side of it, uh, he just he was not able to do it. And, and, look, they were pressuring him, so it wasn't all on him. But that's part of the game plan. You go get him, you pressure him, and, and you're relentless on him, and, and eventually he was going to wear down. And first two series of the second half, he saw a totally different Georgia team. And the Barton-Simmons, suffocation, suffocation, boa constrictor, whatever you want to call it, it took place in the second half in Athens for Georgia. Yeah, um, one of the things that stands out to me, Rusty, is that snap over uh, Stetson Bennett's head lost 30 yards. It lost nine fewer yards than Tennessee had when you take the sacks out of play. Because Tennessee would have had – if you if Jerry Guarantano if – if, if sacks didn't count as, as lost rushing yardage, Tennessee would have had 39 yards. Georgia lost 30 on one play. Um, that was a team rush, I think, is, is how it was termed. So, I mean, Georgia dominated Tennessee's offensive front in a way that I didn't expect. I expected Georgia had a very good chance of winning that battle. I, I thought that Georgia's defensive line, based on what we had saw in the first two weeks, was was in good shape to win that battle. I thought Tennessee could get more off of Georgia's run game or Georgia's defensive line than other teams had gotten. Turned out it got less than any team has gotten because when you factor in the sacks, negative one rushing yard, which that's going to hurt Tennessee's average for the rest of the year. When you know you'll look, Tennessee can look back on this year whether it's eight and two, seven and three, six and four, nine and one, whatever. They'll look back at the end of this year, and if they're running the ball for 155 yards a game, they'll always be able to point. Well, you know, take that Georgia game out, and things look a lot different. Um, but it was it was utter domination there. I thought the offensive line did get better as the game went along, but I thought Tennessee came to fight there. But Rusty, the, the number one thing that I took take away from this game, and I did five takeaways, but I didn't put this one in there simply because it was kind of all encompassing. But when you are at Georgia's level on defense, on on special teams, and and Stetson Bennett raises the floor of that offense like he has, it's a big-time luxury to have all of those things in your favor because when a game does, like you mentioned, snowball on you a little bit and some bad things happen and and you make all those mistakes, you can still be in a game at halftime. And there are teams out there, there's a time in Georgia football history, a lot of times in Georgia football history, where when it played that poorly – in a half of play and made that many mistakes that you're just kind of wondering if Georgia can get back in it at some point, Georgia was in the thick of it. And then all of a sudden come out in the second half, things didn't get much better, Rusty. I mean, they didn't get much better on those first two drives for the offense. I mean, the defense came out there and gifted them uh, two field goal opportunities. The offense didn't do anything with um, went in reverse on one of them and got most of it back on third down on a draw play and then didn't barely move the football when the, when the defense gave it to him on the 36 and, you know, Jack Podlesny comes in and just nails a 51 yard field goal that might I add went about 
25 feet up the net when when it hit the net. So I, I don't know that, that thing wouldn't have been good from 65 yards. But, uh, you know, I feel like Georgia's talent level kind of showed in a game against a good football team. I still contend Tennessee's a good football team. It was, it was, it was clear as day that it had a good game plan. And, and Georgia still gave them points, still played poorly in the first half, still kind of ran away from them there at the end. And that, that's where Georgia's at. And, you know, there, obviously there's a big test coming up. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Alabama game day, 8 o'clock. It's going to be crazy in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you know, there'll be people getting in in backpacks. Uh, you, know, all the, you know, all the little people out there, kids, whatever, that can make some noise will be coming in in Jansport backpacks on Alabama fans' backs. If they can, they're going to get as many people in there as they can get in there. But uh, uh, that, that is, that's what you buy yourself when – when you recruit like Georgia has and when you've got as good a defense as Georgia has because, you know, Tennessee did everything they could offensively in that first half to kind of get it going, and it it got them four points. It got them four points, a four-point lead going into the half, and that's just kind of how it worked out. And um, I, I don't know about you, Rusty, but, but Georgia's defense kind of – once it got it rolling in the second half for those two turnovers, I mean, it was it was a feeding frenzy, man. It was like a bunch of sharks. I've never – I haven't seen Georgia get that much consistent pressure on the quarterback and against a decent opponent, against a good to, to, to elite opponent, probably since Hawaii in the 2007 Sugar Bowl. I mean, and, and Hawaii's nowhere near as good as Tennessee was on the offensive line, but – that that amount of consistent pressure is going to make a lot of quarterbacks fold. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be real careful with this because it's the high school level to college level. But I, I, I'll never kind of forget this, and and it goes back to one of the players playing for Georgia now, Adam Anderson. This Rome defense, and I think it's 2018. Rome destroyed everybody. They beat Buford what 52 to seven. They won the state championship 50 to nothing or whatever. They beat Buford and won the Robins back to back. And I'll never forget the Warner Robins defensive coordinator saying something to me. And, and it goes to what you just said, Jake. He said, man, when those kids right there smell blood in the water, it's over. It's over. And, um, you know, I never will forget him saying that. And, yet, and again, yesterday, when Georgia gets that um, turnover in the first series of second half, you could see it in the stadium, Jake. I mean, it was like, here we go. Rally it up. Here we go. And, you know, look, it's it's one of those situations where you can't – you've got to play perfect. We go back to the Auburn game. Auburn had two chances. They missed both chances to make big plays. And then it was over. It was over. Like, you didn't get another chance. So, in the second half yesterday, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't even know that Tennessee got a chance. I mean, it was a complete – Shut down yesterday. Not one. And, Rusty, I, In the second half. As, as kind of a counter to that, here's the thing. Tennessee probably took advantage of its two chances and still Absolutely. ultimately didn't have a chance. Hey, that's a good point. And, listen, we talked about Chaney, and we know Chaney. We covered this deal. And you knew what Jim Chaney's going to do. Jim Chaney won to run. And Jim Chaney ran the ball knowing that he couldn't run it because he had to do that to take those shots. They took those two shots, and they hit. Hey, they scored. Now, they took two shots in the second half, and Stokes batted one down, and the other one was a uh, a batted down ball. So, 
you know, you were two for four and you scored 21 points. And it's just, it's just not enough. Now, all that's going to change this weekend. But, you know, the, the margin of error is so small playing this defense for Georgia. You have got to hit your spots. If you don't, you don't get many. And, you know, we came into the season talking about can Georgia's defense improve? And the areas we highlighted were sacks, tackles for a loss, and turnovers. And they're creating them. They're, they're sacking the quarterback, even though not as at a higher rate as they would like to. They still missed two sacks in the first half. Could have very, you know, feasibly had seven against uh, Tennessee. Um, had three against Auburn, probably could have had six or seven against them too. Um, got the tackles for a loss, a lot of tackles for no gain. That's one thing you're going to see from this defense often is instead of a ton of tackles for a loss, you're going to have a ton of tackles for – no gain or one yard because of how they kind of build that wall at the line of scrimmage. But, um, you know, there were a couple times where I thought Tennessee may have had a crease in a run game, then Devontae Wyatt throws a blocker and and makes a play. Or, or you know, they, they look like they may have the edge and then a linebacker scrapes over the top and makes a play. And um, the knockback tackling in that game was also tremendous. I think Kobe Dean let one get away from him that turned into a first down, might have been on a third down. But otherwise – you know when when Eric Gray or Ty Chan or Ty uh, uh, yeah uh, yeah Ty Chandler or or a wide receiver caught the ball on a screen or something, first guy got him. First guy got him as the help was arriving. So it was a great tackling performance. It was a great defensive performance. Both times, you know that that, that Tennessee was able to make a play. They were able to make play on 50-50 balls. I mean, shoot, DJ Daniel had probably better coverage than Tyson uh, Campbell did, but but. He he kind of, you know, the ball, he didn't make – he adjusted the ball in the air and Tennessee made a play and, and Daniel did it. And same thing happened to Tyson Campbell and they connected on those chances. And and still, even after that, Georgia was still in that football game, still had a chance to kind of come down and take the lead before half. Who knows what happens if that happens. But the way the defense kind of came out in the second half and just owned the day um, was pretty impressive. Rusty, can you give me one negative that you took from that game that, that Georgia – um, that can that could kind of linger on with Georgia, hurt Georgia in the future. Well, scoring in the you know on the goal line. I mean, you got to sc- you got to be able to punch it in there. And um, you know, I talked to a source last night. It said that that Kirby on the last play of the first half, they almost ran that play that they eventually scored on in the second half with Jalen Carter, the little fullback in the flat deal. Everybody's seen this formation now with Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, and all those big boys in there. Everybody's seen that. So they're going to have a an adjustment to that. So Georgia's going to have to come out this week and give them something different because that was nice. And, and they can continue to do that against some teams. But yesterday, Tennessee was well prepared for that. I felt like on that last play, too, and this, and this, is, this is just my – this is being a little picky. Sometimes Amir White's got to bounce a little bit. I mean, if you come in there and you look at that play, and you go back and look at that play, Warren McClendon gets blown up. Now, Warren McClendon played pretty damn good yesterday. I I will say that. I went back and watched the game today. So I'll say that in his defense. But on that particular play, Warren McClendon gets blown up. I mean, he gets knocked back on his rear. So you have immediate penetration. And you see kind of a seal block there on on the tight end on that edge. So as he sees that penetration in his face, you know, a lot of natural instinct, natural runners 
go ahead and bounce. There's nobody out to the right. There's nobody there. I mean, everybody was sold out to stop him in, in that, basically in that C gap off the tackle. And, you know, so you want to be picky a little bit there. They got, they got to finish off those drives. When you get all the way there, you got to score. You know, LSU yesterday, hard to believe that happened. Hard to believe that happened. But you got to be able to uh, rub route something to get them in the end zone there. And uh, you got to score, man. And this week, this is a totally different world because threes will get you an L this week. You better get six when you're inside the five. And that was one of my keys to victory going in, punch it in. Because, you know, Georgia has done a good job moving the football, um, but but I felt like it had to, you know, do a better job in the red zone. It didn't and still found a way to win. Um, but but it, a good chance of maybe running away with that football game if Georgia's better in short yardage. And, you know, one thing I will say, Rusty, is that that little play-action play that, that toss to, to Jalen Carter for the touchdown, um, going forward, that plants a seed. And and every defense of coordinators mind, because now they think now they know, well, you know, this kid could kind of delay and release. And then you've got something really to worry about there with with their ability to kind of dump it off. So, um, you know, because you see those big guys come in and you wonder um, if they're actually factors in the passing game. Well, you learned Jay Jalen Carter can be, uh, you know, Jordan Davis probably could be, too, if somebody left him alone. Uh, neither one of those guys are going to run away from you and separate. They've kind of got to use some trickery and some timing and and stuff like that. But, but uh, you know, I think that definitely plants the seed in every defensive coordinator's mind going forward. Rusty, I think Georgia's just got to be a better fo- first-half football team. I mean, there is no knock on Georgia as a second-half football team right now. The Bulldogs are outscoring opponents 62-6, to six, I think it is. Yeah, 62-6 to six in the second half. They've given up two third-quarter field goals, I think, on the opening possession to Arkansas. You know, Arkansas got the James Cook fumble and turned it into three points, and Auburn started the second half with three points as well. That's been it. And, and the, you know, the defense has outscored the opponents in the second half. Georgia's defense has put 14 points on the board, and and the, the uh, opposition has only scored six, tw- you know, two touchdowns to, op- to the opposition zero. But the first half, Georgia's got to play better, cleaner football. And it's, it's not necessarily that, that Georgia didn't play well in the first half. I mean, it did some things. I mean, it had a 95-yard drive. Um, it, you know, it got, the, it, it got that answer after the first Tennessee touchdown when it was 14-14. It came back, got a field goal, answered that, got some points back, re-grabbed some momentum. It wasn't all negative. I mean, it came right down the field on Tennessee right there before the half in a perfect kind of three- or four-minute drill used all the clock and, and gave itself a chance for a touchdown, but didn't finish. But there were still key penalties. There was still the, the bad snap. There was, uh, there were, you know, Stetson Bennett got sacked on third down and, and nobody was open. I mean, that was one of the most well-covered plays Tennessee had all day. Uh, it, you know, that Stetson Bennett almost threw a pick at one point trying to force the ball to George Pickens when he had Jermaine Burton on a deep over route that he, I guess he never got to in his progression. And uh, Georgia was kind of fortunate to get away with that one without a pick. So, you know, I think Georgia needs to better be a better first-half football team and, and maybe start a little faster on offense in the second half as well because it didn't start fast against Arkansas in the second half. It fumbled on opening possession, and then it got two gifts from the defense and, and was only able to get three points each time. So those are some things that I think Georgia can definitely work on 
uh, going forward. Let's take a break real quick. On the other side, we're going to talk about two positives, one from each of us on the game. We're going to talk about what Georgia needs to do this week heading into Alabama and uh, talk a little bit about the Tide here at the end of the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Rusty, give me your positive. What's the what's the one thing you kind of look at and was like, yeah, Georgia's, Georgia's got something going there? Uh, Jermaine Burton. I think Jermaine Burton's a guy that um, – you know, we've been, we've heard a lot about, and he's having to learn on the fly. And people, I think people kind of discount how hard it is to step into someone like Todd Monken's offense. This is a pro offense. You know, it's not pro style. They've got all this other terminology. It's pro. Uh, In-depth is pro. I mean, this is NFL playbook. And there's a lot. It's not just running a nine route against on this play. I mean, there's so many adjustments, so many different things. You have to read the hot read. Uh, you got to block. You got to do all these things you weren't really, really asked to do in high school. But I think his natural athleticism, his ball skills, all that stuff is taking over now. And you see him yesterday make some plays. And really on two screen plays, man, you know, I know the 43-yarder got everybody's attention, but the one he did in the second half where he got about 13 yards and broke a couple tackles and got him inside the five was was impressive because you go yards after catch. And, you know, that's 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 an offense coordinator's dream when you can throw a three-yard hitch and the guy turns it into 13. So, I think Jermaine Burton. I think, um, I think obviously, we could talk about the defense all night. But, you know, I, I will say he got blown up on the – on the goal line, but I really thought Warren McClendon, for the most part, played a really good game. I'll go, I'm gonna go back and watch the tape. Uh, but I think Warren McClendon played a pretty good game. And you know, Stetson Bennett, um, steady Eddie, man, doing what he needs to do. Everybody has so much of an opinion on him. You're either really in on him or you're not right now. And I was kind of listening to radio coming home today, listening to the podcast and you know, a couple of podcasts I, I really, really like. They're like, that, that guy's just not going to get it done for Georgia. You know, this is a big test. You know, we're, we're going to talk about this game more. This isn't life or death for Georgia. Georgia needs to win this game. But it isn't life or death because if you lose this but take care of business, you're going to get them again, most likely. Now, saying that, you know, this team right here is built to win every game. They've got every piece you need. This is a big test for Stetson Bennett because Georgia is not equipped to do what Ole Miss did. You know, I don't care what you what you say. Georgia's not going to speedball Alabama. They're just not. 
They don't have that right now. That's not how they're built. Lane Kiffin, regardless of what you think about him, is one of the best play callers, and that dude is speed, speed. He is fast as he can go. He's all about me. He's not walking up there, looking at a defense, calling the sideline, change of plays. They don't do it. They call a play and they go. Okay, so everybody thinking Georgia put is going to put 600 yards on Alabama. It's not going to happen. It's not. But what I want to see is how Stetson Bennett plays this week because he continues to pass each little test every week. And, man, it's easy to see, Jake. We've talked about it again last week. See Tyson Campbell, those guys come up to him yesterday in the interview. I mean, he's got this locker room. He definitely does. And, uh, you know, listen, I think this is the Todd Munkin effect. I really do. I think it's I think it's maybe a little bit more sophistication in the passing game. And, you know, obviously, Kyrus Jackson stepping up and all those things. But uh, Stetson Bennett has three straight games with 200 yards passing. Jake Fromm, that's his longest streak of his career. Uh, he had three straight games with 200 yards passing, I think, three or four different times in his career. Bennett can go over 200 yards passing for the fourth straight week. He, he'll kind of set his own little mark there. Uh, with four in a row, and and I think Todd Munkin's got a lot to do with that. Um, you know, Georgia's got answers for a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, Rusty, I don't know. I, I know this is kind of odd. This just kind of popped up on my uh, Twitter feed while you were saying that Andrew Thomas caught a touchdown pass today. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, he he, uh, he caught a little throwback from uh, Daniel Jones and got into the end zone. Rookie first touchdown. I bet everybody. Somebody. Saw that coming. Uh, I bet everybody saw that coming. That the first freshman to score for this year was going to be Jalen Carter too. Hey, somebody, uh, somebody somewhere is pissed off that Georgia didn't throw a ball to Andrew Thomas. Yes, yeah, somebody somewhere always, always. Uh, Rusty, my positive is uh, dating back to the Auburn game. Georgia has created four turnovers. Richard LeCount has not been involved in any of those turnovers, and that's a good thing because he was involved in. I want to say eight or nine of 16 last year. And then all of a sudden they're showing, hey, we got more than one guy on this defense that can be involved in a turnover, create a turnover. And Georgia's sitting there at four in a row without Richard LeCount having to pitch in. I mean, Eric Stokes, second interception of the year, second interception by a Georgia cornerback in the last two years because, uh, you know, Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel haven't been involved in those. Georgia didn't have an interception by a cornerback all of last year, to my knowledge. Um, you know, you got an interception from Mark Webb there. I mean, the forced fumbles could have had another one. Adam Anderson forced a fumble. And listen, I'm I'm not here to beat on Cade Mays or anything like that. But listen, that's who he was up against on on that whatever down and distance it was. And that's as quick of a pass rush win as you will ever see. Adam Anderson attacked Cade Mays's outside hip, right hip on that play. Got underneath him, sacked Jared Guarantano, took the ball away from him. You know, Tennessee recovered it for a huge loss. Wanya Morris jumped on it. But, um, you know, Georgia has – Let me get in here with Let me get in here with you, Jake, for one yeah. second. But just one second touch. Let me – while we're on this Cade Mays deal. And you and I are very aware, and we have a pulse on this. And you – I don't even have to send you stuff. You saw what I saw yesterday, social media everywhere. What you also saw was after that game, all those players standing out there and talking to Cade Mays. Cade Mays standing out there and talking to him and Kirby Smart reaching over and talking to Cade his ear. So, with all that saying, listen, we, you know, people can back off that whole deal. I know it was a touchy subject. Jake, you know it was a touchy subject. But I can tell you, those types of things that happen after a game, that tells you a lot about that situation, including 
Kirby Smart and Cade Mays coming together. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I, I understand why it's personal for Georgia fans because, you know. Sure, uh, I do. Yeah, I mean. You know, all. Kevin from Dunwoody went into the office, you know, the, the day after the news broke that Cade Mays' lawyer uh, alleged a toxic environment at Georgia. He went into the office, and there are three Tennessee grads in his office, and those Tennessee grads ribbed him upside up one side and down the other. And he sat at his desk for 20 minutes and – was mad at Cade Mays about it because nobody wants to see their program drove through the mud. But you know what Kirby Smart said when he was asked about it? He said, coaches in the SEC. Kirby Smart also coaches in the SEC. He's one of those guys too. They'll do anything to get their guys eligible. And when it comes to that decision to leave and go to Tennessee, to go back home, okay, uh, Georgia, Georgia players understand that. Uh, and I think it was – I want to say it was Jamari Sawyer. I'm not 100% sure, but he was like, listen, you know, when you're part of the family, we want what's best for you and your family. And if that means leaving, that's, that means leaving. And, you know, there, I don't think there are any hard feelings there. I don't think Georgia, Georgia players were – yeah, they were going in there because if that's your brother, you uh, – listen, I got an older brother, and I love beating him at everything I could possibly beat him at. And that hadn't been a whole lot over my 37 years of life. But I relish every victory, and they relished every victory against Cade Mays. Doesn't mean they have a problem with him. Doesn't mean they dislike him. Doesn't mean they hate him. Anything like that. So that's definitely that's definitely a good point. But um, back to the back to the positive. I mean, four straight turnovers without Richard LeCount being involved. I think that's that bodes well for Georgia's defense, and uh, and I think that that's something that that if they can kind of keep going if they can kind of keep this this train rolling as far as the turnovers and the sacks and the tackles for a loss, this defense is going to be better than last year's defense. If they hit a lull in it, maybe not. But as of right now, I mean, Georgia's defense is playing at an extremely high level, and everybody is noticing. Everybody. Uh, you know, you, you watch that post-game show on CBS. You know, I had it recorded, and and uh, some of the post-game show, Rick Neuheisel and other guys talking about Georgia's defense. I mean, it is – they they know it's for real and 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 you know I thought one of the more telling comments was Gary Danielson saying at the end of the game, listen, put a different jersey on them and they all look the same. They you know you you could have put you know you could put number seventeen on number forty one, you know Nicobe Dean's number on Channing Tindall there at the end of the game and you know number forty one was still making plays and he would have made it in a seventeen jersey too, um, and and you know I came away from that game thinking man Georgia might need to find a way to. You know, I don't know what Channing Tindall can and can't do. Uh, you know, I know there's probably been some – there's probably a, a picking up the defense type of thing or, or being able to do some stuff consistently type of thing there with him. But the way that cat played at the end of that football game, maybe you try to find a role for him and get him involved and, and let him get a crumb too because they've got some just flat-out ballers on that defense. And you look up and down the stat sheet, you know, you got Quay Walker with five solo tackles. You got N'Kobe Dean with four solo tackles and a big pressure – um, several big hits. Lewis Seen decleats a guy. Uh, Monty Rice with with a sack, force fumble, scoop and score, two tackles for a loss. Uh, yeah, there's just so much going on there, and and uh, Georgia's got so many playmakers. When you look at this week of practice, though, Rusty, what has to happen? What what is the number one thing that Georgia kind of works out, works through, puts in, takes out, whatever, to to have a to to give themselves a chance to beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa? Nothing, nothing different than you've been doing. I think you go into this game and listen. Let me be real. Say this without people, I'm pulled over the side of the road, ready to kill me. This is another game. 
This is the next game on your schedule. The reason why Georgia is considered an elite program is everything you do every single day. There's no magic recipe that you're going to insert this week to beat Alabama. You're going to go in and you're going to do what you've been doing and you got to get ready to play at a high level and you have recruited to play in games like this and this roster is built to play in games like this. It's going to be, Jake, you said it last week, you know, keep things simple. It's about playing with no turnovers, uh, no bad snaps, those things. You just go in and go to work. I don't think you go in there and, you know, Kirby Smart's not going to have to give some rah-rah speech. Scott Cocker's not going to have to give some rah-rah speech. These kids know what's on the line. This 2017-2018 game, either they watched it, some of them were young kids on there, some of them went through this, saw it. You know, this is a, this is a big one. I want to say this. We will touch on this more. But, you know, I'm starting to sense, like, from people, this is almost like a do or die. This is Georgia's got to win or else. It's not Georgia's got to win or else. It is a litmus test. It is a massive game, but it is not do or die this week for either team, Georgia or Alabama. This is two grown men football teams that are going to lock horns on Saturday night. And I'd be willing to bet right now they're going to lock horns again in December. So you're going to find out where you are as a program for both teams. Uh, and I think this is just a, you go in there and you prepare like you've been preparing for many, many years um, under Kirby Smart and under Nick Saban. This is a big-time game. But, yeah, th does Georgia need to beat Alabama? They certainly do. They certainly need to get that monkey off their back. But I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sense a little bit of this is kind of a – do or die. It's not. This is not a do or die situation. This is a massive game. But Georgia could lose this game and still have everything in front of them. You know, so you got to handle this week, see where you're at. And, uh, you know, people are probably thinking, I'm trying to make I'm not making right now. I like Georgia's chances. I really do. I think this defense can, can really get into Alabama here and give Mac Jones some issues. I watched Mac Jones just with some quick tape. And, man, this guy, he's never – has anybody around him. I mean, he has good, clean pockets, and, you know, he's a really good player. But, you know, I want to see where he's at. If he's got some guys in the back of his jerseys, a little bit dirty for once. So, we'll see. A lot more to talk. I think, get back to your original question, Jake, there is you just prepare like you've been preparing. You prepare like you played under Kirby Smart. Every game's the biggest, the next biggest game. I'm sure that's the message, and we'll see what happens. Rusty, I got three words for you. Single. Wing offense. Nah, I'm, I'm I'm joking, man. I, I, they don't listen. Oh, we did that. Lord. We did that. We did that in high school. We were playing Clinch County when my junior year, oh, and uh, we we had a bye week before Clinch. Clinch was so good. They were so good. Shout out to everybody from Clinch County who listens to this podcast. But they were just unreal good. And we had a bye week before them, so we went ahead and put in a single week offense. I mean, we had Matthew Thomas who played at South Carolina. We had a couple of really good running backs, Stephen Favors, Tommy Wells. Both of them were fantastic players. And we just wanted to figure out a way to get those three the ball. And we put in a single wing, and they moved me from – that. they moved – I hadn't been playing much offense, and they were like, hey, can you – can? yeah, I was the long snapper, and they said, you know, you think you can snap this single wing? I'm like, yeah. Man, I snapped 
I, I made Trey Hill look like Dermani Dawson. I snapped the ball <laughs> all over the park, dude. I, I cannot tell you how many I threw about five yards over somebody's head. And we got the crap beat out of us. We, we, we came in the locker room after the game like, man, we should have just ran our normal stuff because it was a disaster. But, uh, no, I definitely don't think that. And I agree with most of what you had to say. But I do think this. I think Georgia has to find up front on the offensive line that level of focus they had, whatever they did the week prior to Auburn. Um, and I'm not saying that the, I, they, they didn't play as at, a, at the same level that they did against Tennessee. And I don't think Tennessee's that different than Auburn up front, maybe a little better. But it, it took Georgia a while before they got it going. I think that level of focus, that level of preparation and intensity – has to be there this week uh, for that offensive line. I think that's the engine that makes Georgia's Georgia's offense go. That's the I don't want to call it an X factor, but I think you're going to see stretches of poor play in Georgia's offense if the offensive line struggles because you don't have that Nick Chubb and that Sony Michelle DeAndre Swift type back that can create when somebody gets into the backfield on you consistently. You may, you, know, you may see Kendall Milton make a play or, you know, Zamir White may make a jump cut and get past a guy or something like that, but not, not play in and play out, not the 40-yard plays when you do happen to get one block pretty well like those guys do. I mean, Gary Danielson pointed, pointed it out on the, on the broadcast that Georgia has not had a run over 50 yards last two years except for Kenny McIntosh's run against Arkansas State. I think Gary Danielson said Louisiana Tech, but Georgia hasn't even played them, but – uh, you know, th those big plays haven't been there. And so I, I think that that if Georgia's able to kind of grind on, on Alabama's defensive line like it was against Auburn's, and, and it's a bigger test, then then it definitely ups their chances of winning this full football game. But that that level of focus has to be there. And if it's not, um, you, you got to wonder how Georgia's going to play offensively. I think the defense is going to keep Georgia in every ball game. And I think Georgia's defense is as well equipped as any to kind of deal with Alabama, but because um, I don't think Alabama's LSU from last year. Mac Jones isn't going to, you know, deal with free runners and make two or three of them miss and throw a sixty-yard bomb to 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 uh, to a you know Jalen Waddle or or Devontae Smith or, or Mechie or anybody like that. But but you know they they are the kind of team that that if they can get you blocked up front, they can throw it deep and. And make some plays on you, but but I do think that that if Georgia can play well up front on its offensive line, more so from a run blocking perspective than a pass blocker perspective, because I I just think Stetson Bennett can get away from the rush. Um, he's just so quick; he creates separation immediately because of his quickness. Uh, but but they Georgia has to be able to run the football, and they've been able to run the ball a little bit more consistently than they did against Tennessee early on in that game. Uh, Rusty, that's all we got for today, man. You got any parting shots? I'll take that as a no. I had lost lost connection there. Yeah, um, I think um, I'm with you, man. It's just you got to you got to find ways to get after Mac Jones. And I'm watching the Alabama Ole Miss game right now, man. We're in the third quarter, Jake. There's ten minutes ago. It's twenty eight twenty eight, and his jersey is slap clean. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss is struggling defensively. I mean, I think I said that on Friday. DJ Durkin's going to need some time to get that thing going. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing against them, but that's where Georgia has got to create some things defensively to to make them a little uncomfortable and get out of their game because, uh, you know, they're going to come after Stetson Bennett. They're going to run some things at him. But, you know, just really looking in this game this week, looking forward to it as a big-time game and uh, – 
let me ask you one question before we get off here, Jake. Um, I'm worried. I'm worried you don't set no, me no, up. No, 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 Kendall Miller. About to set Kendall me up. Yeah. You know, I always I save those from Kips on here with you. I got to have double setups. Kendall Milton. I mean, he he looks a little different to me, man. Now, he does, and and now, he's holding on to the ball. Yeah, he, he's good. I mean, holding on to the ball. You know Kirby Smart because you cover him now. You can't turn the ball over and expect to play on this team at all. Not at all. So it's it's you know what do you do with that and. Uh, but I, I just tell you, man, that guy has a little more juice to him. He has a little more twitch, and damn, he's got great balance. I, I, I think that, that we didn't get a chance to really get a really good look at him because he didn't play the national all star game. We, we were going to have him in Texas. He enrolled early to practice. You know, he plays out in California, so we didn't know, which they have great competition there in places. We just didn't know what we didn't get a chance to see him in high school. So I tell you, man, he 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 kind of he kind of piques your interest pretty good bit there at that running back spot because they've got a pretty good group, but they ain't got that one guy right now that kind of that kind of scares you a little bit. But Kendall Milton gives you a little bit of wait a minute, we, we might have one here. He reminds me of Najee Harris. He does. That's who he reminds me of. Yep, I mean, yep. I don't. I mean, I haven't seen him stretch it out for a big game. I haven't seen Najee do it a whole lot this year either. Prior to prior to the Ole Miss game, but he kind of reminds you of him build-wise, balance-wise. I thought one of the funniest comments after the game, Rusty, was knowing – all right, you, you, have to, you have to look at this context, uh, this, this quote, knowing that Georgia's defense is as good, good, good as it is. But Kirby said, you know, listen, he, he bounces off our defense and makes plays every day in practice. And I think to myself, oh, surely, surely he's not going to do that in the game. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he do it in the game? He's bouncing off the best defense in the country every day in practice. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's got one of these things like kind of like that Adrian Peterson thing who also battled fumbling issues. And I'm not comparing him to Adrian Peterson, but he just – he fights so hard with his upper body to to make big plays and to stay on his feet. You know, he uses that offhand Thanks rather than spikes. cover up the football. He uses that offhand to shove guys and stuff like that. So – that's probably got something to do with his fumbling issues as well. But if he can secure it, I do think he gives um, Georgia a, a real big boost in the run game, especially with his just a bit like, like I mean, that that one little toss play where he I think he ended up picking up 14 yards and puts his hand on the ground. That's one of the things I love to see out of a running back is putting your hand on the ground to stay on your feet. That's that's just next level stuff and, and some things that you don't see that only you see really only great running backs do it consistently. And uh, you know, I would I would like to see more of him and and see what he can kind of create for Georgia, uh, because he's he's as talented as anybody in that room. I think in the long run, he's going to end up having a great career at Georgia. Last thing I'll say, man, thoughts and prayers with Dak Prescott. Um, gruesome, gruesome, gruesome injury. Uh, I wish people would showing it on Twitter, but man, it's just hard to hard to look at that and know that he had everything kind of riding on this long term deal and yep. all that kind of stuff. So. Thoughts and prayers for him. I see he's going to have surgery actually tonight. Tonight, so you know, yeah. Right, so you know that thing is serious. So, um, you know, just prayers with that young man and, and hoping he gets back uh, quicker and, and better. Absolutely. All right, everybody, that's all we got. We'll be back with you later in the week, and uh, we're going to talk all Alabama on that one. Um, and, and you know, we'll be working between here and there to, to give you more information what's coming out of Georgia practice. Uh, we're going to talk about the matchups but that, that Georgia needs to win against Alabama. This is all over at Dogs 24-7. If you're not a member, come join us. Great time to do that. 
Uh, but for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. He's Rusty Mel from the Rusty Mansell. Not Rusty Mel, Rusty Mansell from the same place. You guys take it easy. That was common mailman there, didn't you? Rusty <laughs> mailman. <laughs> Y'all take it easy. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen